All right. Uh, Jesus, we thank you for this amazing opportunity that we have to gather together this morning to be inspired by your story through Scripture, especially this letter to the churches around Asia and Ephesia, um, Ephesus. I don't know where that came from. Uh, we just thank you that through our conversation today and discussion and hanging out, um, that all of us would just feel closer to one another, closer to you, that we would um, feel the unity that's talked about in these verses, in these scriptures. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So, good morning. Um, today we are, uh, the last two weeks, we're, we've been going right to scriptures. We're reading from Ephesians. We were going to do three weeks, but we had to cancel for snow our Surprise, April 20-something inch snowstorm, but I really enjoyed my Sunday off, so it was worth it. Um, I slightly feel deep down inside that, honestly, that snowstorm came just for me. It was just the right timing. But then instead of having three weeks in Ephesians, we only have two, so we're doing uh, three chapters at a time. So hopefully we'll get to the whole three today when we read it, but um, we'll see. We'll get to something good, and it'll, we'll like it. Uh, one of the reasons we try to read from, like, just directly take a book of the Bible and kind of go through it a couple times a year is because I think there's, there's so many times that um, uh, it just seems unapproachable to many of us. Like, I just aren't, we're not getting something out of it. And so to take it into view just text by text together and to grab onto it just shows us that there's something there. Uh, and it's really the books we choose to, I mean, Ephesians, Philippians, um, uh, John are fantastic works of the gospel. There's, it's, it's not written just to a specific place, so there's so much more going on there. It's a little bit more well-rounded um, whole gospel message, and there's something great. Ephesians is great because the first half, like what we went through last week, he's really, he's got this vision of what it looks like if we follow this pattern of Jesus, what it looked like to be in this, he calls them heavenly realms, but he's, he's really talking about just this same, the kingdom of heaven here among us, but it's almost like a, uh, a reality that we can live in, this heaven reality, this um, right where we're at right now, despite even what else is around us. He's like, you can, you can be in this sphere, in this realm, you can have this reality, this parallel to what's going on if we follow this path. And he builds this beautiful picture in the first three chapters. And so if you haven't read those, go back and read them or listen to the podcast from last week. But he, he gives us this idea of something he's excited for. And now in the second three chapters here, uh, or the, the last three chapters, he's, he starts to, to what it looks like to live this out and to take it seriously and to be a follower of this and to, to tap into this. And so it's more... It's a little visionary, the first three and the second three now are a little more practical of what it looks like. But Ephesus um, is modern-day Turkey. It's a port town. It was a giant city back in the day. There was a lot going on. But there was also a lot of, like, people wanted things to happen quick, and they were really believing for um, whatever spiritual powers they could get their hands on, whether it was whatever that was going to make the reality they were hoping for happen quicker and so it's just like i want it now and to be really honest i think there's so many times that followers of jesus get into this rut where it's like i want it now and how do i get it now what's the right prayer what's the way, way to live my life what's the whatever 
or what's in the world that's just going to speed up what I want going on. And this is like the opposite of that. He's like, no, this is a slow, slow-moving train. This is something that happens together. This is, there's something more. And really something exciting Paul does is instead of turning it to this mysticism about God's just going to do it one day when you line all up, he's like, no, God's going to do it through each of us. And so it's when we finally start to walk this out and tap into that that something beautiful happens. And so he takes this, this desire for some divine power to just interject and change everything overnight, and he's like, no. He builds this picture of, look at how beautiful this can be, but this happens not from this snap-your-fingers magic potion. It happens from us just taking our place, looking out for each other, and, and, and seeing something different happen. He talks a ton about unity in these three chapters that we're going to go through about a unity that, that Jesus has already brought that we just foster and keep it going and keep people reminded of a unity that's already there, not a unity we have to create, a unity that was created that we're not tapping into already. And I mean, if there's a unity created and you're going against the grain and trying to create your own again, you're just, you're, we're just smacking stones against stones that are just walking in this, that we're all together, that there's something happening going on. I don't know how much we'll see it when we're, the stuff I underlined that we'll read, but he talks a ton about our words and not about not speaking and just keeping your mouth shut, but, but using your words to build each other up and to protect this unity and as a tool and something that's been given to you to, to use, and, but not as... I don't even think this gets into like an instrument of evangelism. They're, they're, if we look at it, it's not like that. It's just using our words wisely. When we're with someone, are we building them up? Are we making them feel comfortable and secure and wanted and special and that they're, there's a place for them here and there's something going on? Are we using our words to divide? Because if we really think about it, using our words to divide, I, I wonder sometimes even how, I mean, religion can easily go down that, that road as well. And so he's, he's saying, hey, take a look at what's going on. But honestly, this is an easy Sunday for me. I've struggled for inspiration lately, and so it was like, oh yeah, we haven't done a book of the Bible lately. Let's just get into something good because I honestly am looking for inspiration myself because you, you just don't wake up every week and like, oh, I've got this fantastic idea to share with everybody that they're going to love. Um, as much as I'd love that to happen, it does not. And if I'm not like thinking way out ahead, then we're in deep, deep trouble. But we've got this period where I didn't have stuff going on and like, let's go through Ephesians together. Find some inspiration in these scriptures that have held for 2,000 years that there's something inspiring about that will go forward. Another thing to remember as we're doing this, Paul's in prison when he writes this one. Paul was also a crazy zealot, just a passionate religious dick, really, who just pursued everyone with his moral compass of being right and was knocked off his donkey off his ass and had this vision of you're completely backwards your passion is amazing but you're 100 percent wrong and it's so interesting that you can follow after divine and be 100 percent wrong and still be thinking you're going the right direction but this the same love that the previous chapter says pursuing all of us those who are near and those who are far brought him to something else and so he's writing to these churches uh, to tell him something. Ephesians 4 will start. Again, it's 4 through 6. If you want to look it up on BibleGateway.com, we're using the voice translation. You might want to follow along. There also should be two Bibles in the back somewhere if you want to grab them, or maybe you already did if you want to, but whatever. We'll just go. It is recording. All right. In chapter 4, verse 1, he says, As a prisoner of the Lord, I urge you to walk as Jesus walked. Live a life that is worthy of the calling that he has graciously extended to you. Be humble, be gentle, be patient. Tolerate one another in an atmosphere thick 
with love and make every effort to preserve the unity that the Spirit has already created with peace binding you together. There's, I seriously, I probably could have written a message just about this opening paragraph to you. Uh, chapter 4. There's so much here. Even the prisoner of the Lord. It's so interesting how you can look at some of these things and just where you've come from or where we're going like can change so much. Like I've seen that prisoner of the Lord or that prisoner talk or servant of the Lord or slave of God of the divine is used as like, oh, God wants us to be this mutton slave. And you read these scriptures and it's all about this love and this family, this connection. You're like, no, it's not that Paul is writing romantically here. He's talking about being so encaptivated by someone. He's doing it from a prison cell, so he's captive as it is. And it's bringing to mind these, these ideas of being captivated by a love so much that he's willing to call himself a prisoner of this love, a prisoner of this person. But it's, it's not out of this whipping a slave to line up. It's out of this divine love so big that it's just captivated him into something else. And he urges us then to live a life that's worthy of this calling. And he says to tolerate one another in an atmosphere thick with love, which is, I mean, we should tattoo that on our wrists because I think there's so many opportunities every day to need that reminder to tolerate with an atmosphere thick with love because they're almost like oxymorons. Tolerate an atmosphere thick with love. Tolerate's like I can just barely stand that you're in my presence, but I'm, I'm, I'm allowing it. And then this atmosphere thick with love, you're like, okay, those aren't the same thing but somehow he's like, this is how we get, this is how we get there. Um, and there's something going on. But he says, all of this is to preserve the unity that the Spirit has already created with peace binding us together. Again, this unity, he talks about it over and over and over, that, that Jesus and the Spirit has created some kind of unity that we are supposed to protect. The unity that's already there, that's already binding all these people together. That's our job, that's our... There's something there. There's something beautiful. If we, if we want that list of things to do, protecting the unity that's already created by the Spirit, like, okay, add it to your list. I don't think you're ever going to go wrong with protecting unity. If you, if you need that checklist, if you need a new list of commandments to make you do it, this is one to jot down. Verse 7, he says, This God has given to each of us grace in full measure according to the Liberator's gift, as Scripture says. Um, and then he starts to talk about gifts handed down. In verse 11 he says, It was the risen one who has handed down to each of us gifted leaders, some emissaries, some prophets, some evangelists, as well as pastor teachers, so that all God's people would be thoroughly equipped to minister and build up the body of the liberating king. Um, so he's given gifted leaders. Does that always come with a title? Does it always come with some placard so you know what's going on? Or are these gifted leaders sitting among us right now? Are these talents and these leaders that are inspiring to us, are they among us? Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm a pastor. I'm called to serve and be here for this church, but it's, it's a gifting. It's, a, it's something that was given. It's not some prestigious thing I've earned. It's not. And it's really sacrificial because this is the job of the gifted leaders that are in our lives are so that God's people would be thoroughly equipped so that they could minister. My job is not to be the minister, but to equip you guys to minister, to be the hands and feet of Jesus. And this is to minister and build up the body of the liberating king. So there's something about each of us stirring and looking to who are these gifted leaders in our life that are going to allow us to be 
ministry, to be the hands and feet of Jesus, to be this call to love, to be this call to remember unity, to be the action element of this, but to also build each other up. Because if we're not, if you're not looking at your neighbor and the person sitting next to you or the person in the community, the person who didn't make it this morning or the whatever is going on in our life and saying, how can I connect them more? How can I build them up more? How can I remind them that we're united and something else is going on? How can I see that we're united? We'll see text in these passages that says we should see this kind of unity and we should protect it between one another because we're one in the same thing. If something happens to you, I should feel the effects of that happening to me. And if I don't, there's, I'm not understanding that something's not going on. Um, he says in verse 14, Then we will no longer be like children, tossed around here and there on the ocean waves, picked up by every gust of religious teachings, spoken by liars and swindlers and deceivers. Paul's so subtle in his like, words. He's just like flowery and so beautiful. Picked up by every gust of religious teachings teaching spoken by liars, swindlers, or deceivers. And said, truth spoken in love, we are to grow in every way in, into him, Jesus, the liberating king, the head. He joins and holds together the whole body. So again, it's this picture of the spirit, this liberating king, Jesus. He's holding us together. Yet, it says, he joins and holds together the whole body with its ligaments, being us, providing the support needed so that each part works to its proper design and to form a healthy, growing, mature body that builds itself up in love. And so we see these like parallels through all this, that the divine is holding us together. The divine is, has created this unity that we're supposed to protect. Yet at the same time, it shows us being these ligaments that holds it together and builds it up into something more. It, it, it causes this growth. I, I mean, I didn't add it to our conversation at the end, but maybe someone can remember this. This even like building up, what does it look like to build up one another? Is it just so we stop doing one thing or start doing something else? Or again, is this building up? All these passages are about unity. So is it about this connectedness? We're one and the same. We're family. We need to see each other as brothers and sisters and fathers and mothers and daughters like are sitting around us. These are our family. These are our flesh and blood. This is what matters. This is the kind of text he's getting to you here. And this is what's interesting about pulling these verses out separately and talking about them on one Sunday and then grabbing another Sunday where we're like, okay, what does this all say together? Because there's a rhythm of what he's talking about that keeps happening here that's going over and over and over again. In verse 17, he says, I insist on this, no longer walk in the way of the outsiders with minds devoted to worthless pursuits. They're blind to true understanding because they're strangers and aliens to the kind of life God has for them. And it's a life that we've been talking about, this unity, this building up one another. Like Keep these things in mind as we're going through this. Um, because they live in ignorance, their hearts are cold and like stone, and they've lost all natural feelings, which is interesting. He starts describing this thing he's talking about as something natural that's in us, and they've been distracted from the natural feelings into just being, protecting themselves, being selfish. He says they've given themselves to sensual, greedy, reckless living. They've, they've stopped at nothing to satisfy their impure appetites. And I read these things, and to be honest, like it this is so inspiring. He's built this beautiful picture we can do together. And I'm like, this is America. And not just America. This is a freaking church in America. Like, is this like, it's just about what can I get from you? You go to a church website and it's, oh my goodness, this is what, you'll have this experience with lights and lasers and fog. And we change the temperature so your skin will tingle when it's the right moment. Your kids will think they're going to Disneyland. Like, it's just going to be 
the best thing ever. There'll be every single small group you could imagine. So if you like Asian fusion that's done vegan with an ambiance of nature and hipster, like you can find that group as much as like a bunch of old Italians going out for pasta and Chianti, like we're going to be drinking communion this morning. Like you just, you're like, how can all these, what, under one roof? Like you pretty much got everything you could ever desire because we're so used to this instant gratification. And I, I dig it when I want to watch something and I'm in the mood for a mobster movie. And I can turn my TV on and go to my Netflix and be like, mobster movie, and it's got like a list of them. You're like, oh, this is perfect. Where back in the day on TV, you'd be like, man, there's, there's just nothing on. And it was great to not watch it. Now, everything you could dream of, I want a space movie that's got monsters, but also has a love story behind it. Oh, there's one of those as well. Here we go. Like, everything imaginable is at our fingertips. And so, at one sense, it's beneficial, but in the other sense, it, it almost seems like Paul's talking about, like, this kind of dulls us from a natural feeling of this connectedness, that there's something binding us together, that there's something more in this. Um, as he says in verse 20, he says, this is not the path of the liberating king, which you've learned. If you've heard Jesus and have been taught by him according to the truth that's in him, then you know to take off your former way of life, this crumpled old self, this dark blot of a soul corrupted by desire and lust, and take a fresh breath and let God renew your attitude and spirit. And then you're ready to put on a new self modeled after the very likeness of God, truthful, righteous, holy. Again, this is, these are verses that have been taken, these truthful, righteous, holy, something to put on and out of context, it can be one thing, but if we're looking at what he's saying this holy life looks like, this, this protecting unity, this you being built up to minister and build up one another, it means something completely different. And it's like this clothes, we take off our clothes, but it doesn't say you try to fit into new clothes. He says, once you take off that old life that's just you worried about you, chasing after you, whatever you desired, whatever you tasted, and the Bible's beautiful because it doesn't say we shun these things forever, we don't just dress in gray, and eat only rice, and like there's times to celebrate together and enjoy this, but our whole life can't just be you pursuing whatever your brain or your body is tingling for at the moment. There's got to be a bigger connection. But he says, if we take that off and we say, okay, I'm, I'm, I'm not just going to chase after every desire I have. And the next thing isn't start putting on holy life. It says, take a breath and let God restore you and inspire you, and breathe life into you. That pause in the middle of the putting back on a holy life is so beautiful and so needed. This, like, this moments, it almost reminds me of Mark talking this morning about this like, seven-month gap where he's like, I'm done with, with the busyness I had and just needed to take a break. Let some breath come in. And breaks can be scary because we're not used to it. So your mind is going like, what's next? And can freak you out. Yet there's still this there's something that's building us back up, that's restoring us, that's helping us rest up for something different. He says to put on this holy way of life. And again, this holy way of life is referring to what he's been talking about all these chapters before us. He says, put away your lies and speak the truth to one another because we're all part of one another. He says, stop lying to one another, not because it's bad and you're, it's just as easy. Don't lie to one another because you're all part of one another. You're lying to yourself if you're lying to one another. You're lying to your own flesh and blood. This is, why would you hurt, why would you start smacking your own hand or gouging out your own eye? This is, this is you. You protect you. And he's starting to say, like, we need to open this up to see that everybody is connected to us. There's this flock syndrome you get that they've studied in, in these birds that flock together that do these amazing-looking 
triangles in the air or V-shapes as they're flying south or they're going somewhere. And it's, it, they found out that they're not, there's not just this leader bird that they're following. And they're like, oh, we do whatever the leader bird does and we line up. There actually becomes a unified mentality. All of them, when they get close enough to one another, they, their brains somehow join and it's one brain now operating the same thing. That's how you can see these beautiful formations and because somehow their brains have linked. And we see the scriptures talking about there's this unity among us and not hurting one another. And you wonder, is there something more here? Is there a connection that we start to, to feel deeper that maybe is natural that we've just shunned because of this personal protection that we've got into? He even starts to say like, uh, stop, if you're stealing, stop. Because thieves must work like everyone else and honestly work with their hands so that they can share with anyone who has needs. It's not stop stealing so you're taking from the rest of us. Not stop stealing because it's wrong or society doesn't like it. Stop stealing so that you can have something that you've made with your hands that you can share with someone else who has need. At the same point saying stop stealing, it's at the same time inviting us to share if we have needs. And being the one who has needs, being able to take from someone who can share, who has something extra to give. It's this mutual seeing each other as something bigger going on again. He says, that way your good works will communicate grace to those who hear them. It's, stopped. it's time to stop bringing grief to the Holy Spirit. You've been sealed with him, marked on this day of liberation. Banish bitterness, rage, anger, shouting, slander, and all malicious thoughts because they're poison. Instead, be compassionate and gracious and forgive one another just as God has forgiven you through the liberating king. There's so much of this that's amazing because he's like, if, if this is good news to you, if there's a message here, if there's a gospel of Jesus, a way that we follow this path of Jesus, he's like, it's not just in thought, it's, it's our actions. Our actions have got to show and line up with this. But it's not this pious lifestyle that we saw maybe reflected through Scripture in the way super-religious people left, lived or even the way that super-religious people, quote-unquote super-religious people are living now where we dress a certain way, we talk a certain way, we don't cuss, we... That's all fo- that's phony religion. The way we live is the way we're connecting people, the way there's a unity among us, the way that we're, we're thinking of each other as a whole and not this self by itself. And I've just completely closed my book. All right. Um, I hope this is making sense and legit this morning. Um, and if not, whatever. Verse five, or chapter 5, verse 1, he says, So imitate God and follow him like adored children. And live in love as the liberator has loved you, so much that he gave himself as this fragrant sacrifice pleasing to God. Um, If we go on in verse 7, he says, Act like children of the light. For the fruit of the light is all that is good, right and true. Make it your aim to learn what pleases God. Don't get involved with fruitless works of darkness. Instead, expose them to light of God. You see... It's a disgrace to speak of secrets, even to talk about what is done when no one's looking. But the light, when light shines, it exposes dark and shadowy things, but it turns them into pure reflections of light. He starts to go on to say, be mindful of our steps and to, to take every advantage of the moment. But there's something here about this light exposing things. It's not exposing things to show you that you're bad, like, oh, there's a dark thing. And it's like, all of a sudden, like, oh, look at Look at TJ or look at Allie like, ooh, my light has exposed your darkness and shown you that you're bad. No, it says that the light exposes all the dark places and then light can shine from them again. 
It's almost like light is revealing light in these dark places, what's already God there, and reminding them that there's something amazing. We can't, we're, we're never called, never called through these scriptures to go around pointing at people and being like, you're dark, you're bad. Like what, I mean, John the Baptist had his little bit for a way, sinner, repent, and, but we got a little bit there. And he also looked like he was a little bit off if you read what's going on. He didn't even quite understand Jesus. So it's tempting to get into this. But this light exposure is not to just expose darkness and say it's dark. It's to show that light is there and that light can grow from that. I love hanging out with anybody, coworkers that are down, whatever, and showing them what things in their life inspire me. Man, when you live like this, when you talk to that person this way, when you were calm at that table of jerks and still like took care of them or when you help out when there's no reason for you to help out because your coworker's being lazy and you're just doing it that inspires me i see something beautiful in there when you love a stranger and just sit down with them and and make them feel comfortable there's something beautiful there my light exposing is to expose the light that's already there and to let it shine brighter it's not to like manifest this darkness and show like oh we're going to show you how dark the world is and how scary it is it's no it's to illuminate how beautiful and bright and where these little lights are coming from where the light is already happening and cause it to grow and build it up and be like no Doug, keep doing that don't get mad don't buy a gun and just shelter yourself in your home and never go out to people again keep loving there's something beautiful there you're making me want to do that Speaking of Doug, if you're ever having just a hard week and need to have an amazing conversation over a beer, you are one of the best conversationalists. I, f- I, s- I, s- I almost have an addiction to like feeling like I should really hang out with Doug right now and have a conversation. I need it again. Like uh, something's going on. Um, this chapter five. There's so much about words that I'm kind of skipping over here. Uh, Maybe I'll just grab a couple. He says, Don't be fooled by people whose sentences are compounded with useless or empty words. Um, But it talks about just using... um, uh, Well, you'll see it here too. He says in verse 19, When you're filled with the Spirit, you're empowered to speak to each other with the soulful words of pious songs and hymns and spiritual songs and sing and make music with your hearts attuned to God. And he says in verse 21, the Spirit makes it possible to submit to one another out of respect for the liberator and so to give ourselves away. And so he's been talking about building each other up and he's like, don't just make our words useless when we're talking to each other. Try to make it sound eloquent or fruitful, which I'm definitely not good at doing since I stumble over every other word and somehow you put up with everything I'm saying. But he's like, there's a spiritual song. There's something that's going on the inside of us that starts to come out if we're just willing to look at what's in there and look at what we can give there's, um, uh, I'm going to do a message in a few weeks that talks about this attitude of what can, I, what can I give here? How can I help? What can I bring to this situation? It's just this, it's just this mental shift about how is all this affecting me instead of like how can I help this situation? It changes everything. And he starts talking about our words being that way. How can they minister to someone? How can they build someone up? How can they expose the light that's already on the inside of them? And he says to give ourselves away. And he tells us here to passionately and humbly submit to one another out of respect for Jesus. Submit to one another. And then we get into these weird passages that have been clobber passages after this about wives and husbands submitting to one another that have been used for, oh, a wife should submit to her husband and she should do whatever he wants because it starts with wives, submit to your husband. Which, if you really actually read the scripture, if you, if you opened your eyes and opened your brain 
as you read those things, the, it, it's, it's saying almost the completely opposite of what's been taught all the time. They grab that sentence that wives should submit to their husbands, and they forget the part that says that husbands should be like Jesus for their wives and lay down their life for them to protect and do anything for them. You're like, okay, submit or lay your life down and do whatever it takes to build this person up. Which one seems like more... Sac- and, but the thing is, they're not. Either one isn't more sacrificial. They're both this equal, you submit to me, I submit to you. And he says it right after he says that we should passionately give ourselves away to each other in community. So he starts with community and saying we should submit because of respect for a leader and just be there for one another. What can I do for you? How can I lay down my life for you just as Jesus did? How do I love you the way Jesus did? And he starts talking about this marriage relationship, but then right after it, he says, this is a mystery about God himself and the church. So he's like, this isn't just this marriage relationship I'm talking about. This is a mystery concerning God and concerning how we live to one another, that there's something about if each person is looking out for the other person's needs instead of their own, we have this unity that's already been created We have something beautiful, an energy that's coming from the inside of us that we can point out, that we can do. But you stop having that where we're submitting to one another. And I think the word submitting is where we get wrong. It's it's really this this giving ourselves away to one another. It's being there for them. It's letting my words minister to you instead of having it be all about me and trusting that in turn, and it might not happen today and it might not happen tomorrow, but in turn someone's going to minister back to me and take care of me. I take this step of faith forward and be like, you know what, I'm going to give myself away to this group of people, to my friends, to my loved one, to my family, to, my, to strangers who are in my life. Maybe they're not strangers enough they're in my life, but my coworkers, my neighbors. And there's something, there's a power of God that's manifested when we do this. A mystery that even how this is all connected, this giving away. Yet we'll take something as beautiful as these passages of that and turn it into, well, we've got to set up a hierarchy of who's right and who's wrong. And it's like, this is the complete opposite of hierarchy. This is like a spiral that never ends. People serving people, people loving people, people helping people. The verse after this, he starts to even get into, this isn't, we're not fighting against just humans that are, it's, there's spiritual powers, there's a darkness that's flowing through all this that's, that's, that's causing something to go on. And if you really start to realize what's going on, like when someone hurts you, when someone says something ridiculous or painful or stabbing, usually what that is doing is pointing back to something they're, they're hurting themselves. It's this hurt people, hurt people. Something, it's, it's almost like a, a cry for help. I am hurting so bad that I don't know what to do, but this is spilling out for me. There's so much pain going into me that it's now overflowing out and it's falling into you. And we'll be like, oh, they hurt me. I want nothing to do with this person. Instead of saying like, man, I need to spill out in love into them because something is going on. There's something beyond just this person at work here. There's a darkness. There's something about what's going on around them has affected them so much that it's spilling into me and that they don't even mean to do this. It's just a natural byproduct of how bad this person is hurting and how can I build them up? How can I expose the light that's already inside of them? How can I remind them of the unity that's already there? How can I be sacrificial to them and live in this union relationship that Jesus talks about? How can I give myself to this person, to try to take some of that burden away right now. If we all start living this way, if we all really follow Jesus and practice this, which we do, but it's one step at a time. You don't wake up tomorrow and be like, oh, I'm going to be an expert at this. We take one step forward. And that spirit stirs us inside and says, man, this person's hurting. And instead of getting pissed at them this time, or reporting them to HR, or just giving them the middle finger, which is so easy and so rewarding to do sometimes, we decide to take that other path. 
As David Frost said, the path less taken, the path we don't even see the outcome. We can't see this clear picture of, oh, if we're all doing this, it'll be rosy and beautiful. No, it's, it looks cloudy. We can't see what's around the next bend, but we're like, all right, I'll take this path. We'll see what happens. I'm going to love this person instead of hating them, instead of being mad because there's a reason to be mad. I worked with this lady Back in the day, oh, she was the worst person to work with. Like, she was so micromanaged. I've told this story before. The tip of the story was my, my pens. I got ADD. Like, I just got it. And I'm working it out. We're figuring it out. Amy's got me some nice essential oils to help as well. I got patterns in life to help with this. But if I get a clicky pen in my hand or, you know, I play, I play the drums. I'm, I'm tapping. I'm tapping all the freaking time. And she's like, look, you're tapping a lot. That's bothering me. I'll submit. Be like, oh, you know what? I have been tapping for like three hours straight without stop. But if I got a clicky pen in my hand, especially if I'm on like a sales phone call or marketing or something where I'm like, this is serious, this distracts me from getting worried then. And so I'm like, click, 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 click. My clicky pens were disappearing. They were like always gone. But so I bring more in. This lady came out one day. She's like, I have taken so many of those clicky pens out of your desk. Where are they coming from? Like, she's like, you're driving me bonkers. And I'm like, oh, I am so sorry. I wasn't thinking about how it's affecting those around me. I'm just thinking about, I don't want to be anxious when I'm on this phone call. It's important. Click, 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 click. This was a tipping point, though, because I had lunch with my friend Manny, and he's like, you know what? Instead of hating this lady for being just Scrooge, uh, he's like, what if you just tried to like love on her? Like, Find out what she likes, find out what she... And I'm like, whatever. I resisted Manny for so long, and he told me stories of how he did it to another coworker, and I finally gave in. You know what? Maybe I do just need to love this person. And we became close. I found out there was real health problems that were causing this. Hurt people hurt people. If you see this energy coming out, it's because something is happening in their life. And instead of me just being like, just being ridiculous for no reason, it was finding out the reason and being like, you are hurting. There is something going. You need an advocate in this space. Like, I, how do I be your friend? Like, I don't need to... I can find softer ways to deal with ADD that aren't driving you nuts with your office right across from mine. But it's, 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 a, it's a shift. It's a shift from me and what matters to me and what I need to be like, how can I help this situation? How can I help this person? How can I see us as a team instead of enemies that are trying to strive for something? There's something that just broke. And to be honest, when it, I feel like when, we've, when we hit these breakthroughs or these plateaus, something changes quite a bit. We don't stoop back down. Maybe there's a little bit of a decrease, but when we jump up, we never quite get back to that spot where we were because we see people in this different light and we're like, yeah, I can't unsee that again. I can't undo that. And this is the kind of unity that Paul keeps talking about and reminding us that it's not just a person that is waging against you that's, that's, that seems to be your struggle, that there's something deeper going on, that there is darkness, that there is evil, that there's this pain in the world. This is overwhelming for people to deal with sometimes, that we need to understand and find out how we can be a part of that. Because if I see Matt as just as much me as I see myself, or Akua, or Jeremiah, or whoever, like it, it changes your perspective when we see each other as one. And that's where I find it's so beautiful about Ephesians. That keeps me like, okay, these are sacred texts. There's something going on here. I can take these passages. I can read them. I can run. Again, like I said, if you haven't, you're not big on reading the scriptures, reading the Bible. Ephesians, Philippians, James. Read them each three times and come back to me and tell me the same thing. You can't find something from the scriptures because they will be amazing. I feel like if we just read those until they were memorized, until they became like almost annoying that 
the world could, like we would see something completely different happen. And then you could move on to something else. They're so rich and deep, these three. But I want to pray because Paul puts so many prayers in here. Um, and he tells us in verse 10 of chapter 6, he says, Finally, brothers and sisters, draw your strength and might from God and put on the full armor of God. This is where he tells us we're not just fighting against one another. It's, like, it's almost, this, it's again, he put, he's putting it like clothing, like he was talking about earlier. It's just putting on this, like, okay. It's like putting on this coat of love and reminding yourselves, okay, I chose to walk this way today. I decided to take the path less taken. I decided to look at people differently. I decided to give myself away graciously to someone else. And what does that look like this week then? But one of these prayers in Ephesians, I'm going to do the one, uh, Ephesians 3, verse 16, as our lead-out prayer. Because how can you beat these? So Father God, right now, out of your honorable and gracious riches, we ask you to strengthen us, to fill our souls with the power of your Spirit, so that through faith in the liberating King um, will reside in our hearts, but that love would be the rich soil where we would, our lives would take root. Love would be this rich soil where our lives would take root, where we would draw our nourishment, where we would find our footing, where we would find our strength to not get pulled here or there when things happen. May it be the bedrock where our lives are founded so that together with all of your people, we will have the power to understand that the love of the liberator is infinitely long, wide, high, and deep, surpassing everything anyone previously experienced. God, may your fullness flood through our entire beings. In Jesus' name, amen.